0: Good morning. Welcome to Okotok's Calvary Fellowship. Thank you for joining us as we study through God's Word. Well now as we begin this morning, we're in Mark chapter 9, and we're confronted by one of those challenges that we have in teaching through the Bible line by line, verse by verse, because we quite often get, uh, we end up Uh, in the middle of a thought or middle of an idea, as was the case last week. And we ended with Jesus speaking to his disciples on this whole issue of greatness. The disciples were debating amongst themselves as to which one was the greatest. And when Jesus overheard them speaking, he took the opportunity to teach them and to correct their ideas about what true greatness was really all about. And he talked about how to become great. It wasn't about status. It was not about how many people serve you, but rather it was about how many people that you serve. It's not about being first. It was about being last for the glory of God. And Jesus wanted this message to really sink in deep into their hearts. And so... Now he wants to develop this thought a little further as he highlights another aspect of true greatness here in verse 38. Now we need to know that true greatness is not clickish. True gro- um, greatness is inclusive. It, in, it includes others. So verse 38, now John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him because he does not follow us. And you remember last week, these disciples couldn't cast the demon out from this young boy. And we saw that Jesus had to step in and deal with the situation. But isn't that human nature at its finest? I mean, let's be honest here. Is there anything more annoying than when we are trying to do something and we're unable to be successful at it. To have somebody else come along who can do it and they're successful. I mean, I have just failed badly. I can't figure it out. And then my wife comes along and she does it. But if you look at verse 38 again, The Apostle John is being very elitist here. (laughs) You're not part of our inner circle. You're not part of the 12. You aren't part of our club. And besides, if we can't do it, then you shouldn't be able to do it either. And it's that real competitive spirit that is always a poison when it reaches into a ministry. And there's nothing more galling to someone who has this competitive spirit. You're plugging along in your ministry, all the while someone else is being very successful in their ministry. And then we start to begrudge them their success. And my friends, understand this. That is a very wicked attitude at heart. I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. Calvary Chapel does not hold the exclusive rights on God's truth or God's blessing. God and God alone has the right to choose who He will work through. And how he will do it. But friends, please understand this. It means that God may choose to work through somebody that you completely disagree with. I know, right? Mind blown. Look, we should hope and pray that our church would be fruitful and strong and blessed by God. But we don't want to be the only church that is growing and fruitful. God forbid! We pray that God would raise up other strong laborers to work in His fields. And that should be the heart of every true believer and follower of Jesus Christ. But it wasn't the heart of John here. So Jesus responds in verse 39. Look what he says. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him. For no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Do you see the heart of Jesus in this? He's telling us that there are many people who may be different in their approach, who may even be incorrect in some aspect of their presentation or teaching, Yet they still put forth, and emphasize on this, they still put forth a biblical Jesus in some manner. There are those who present Jesus, and it's not in a biblical manner. So you need to make that distinction. They're not against Jesus. They are still for him. Now, You know, I've learned some valuable lessons over the course of my Christian walk. I want to share a couple of them with you. One, God is the only one who can save. Amen? No matter what I do or say, I can never save another person. If that were possible, I would do it. Second of all, God is the only one, only one, who can change or soften a heart. There is no amount of talk or emotion or persuasion that will do it, just Him. Thirdly, God builds His church. There's no level of effort that we can exert that causes His church to grow without His blessing. And the fourth thing I want to share with you is God's Word will never, never come back void. When His Word is proclaimed, He honors it often in spite of the messenger. My friends, I have a confession to make today that will probably shock all of you to the core. As much as I study, as much as I pray, as much as I work at it, I don't always get it right. I know, shocking, right? But friends, none of us do. God only asks me to be faithful and to leave the results to Him. And so we should never be of this mindset that we hold all the truth, that God can only work through certain churches, certain people, or certain denominations. And as long as they are proclaiming Jesus, the ministry of Jesus will get through. And somehow Jesus will find a way to exalt himself and to glorify himself. Amen? Look, the Apostle Paul in his own day saw many men preaching Jesus from a variety of different motivations. And some of those motivations were evil. Yet Paul could still rejoice. Why? Because Christ was being preached. And so Jesus is encouraging his disciples and us here not to forbid this preaching, but rather to praise God for the fact that Jesus is being preached. Well, Jesus goes on and he encourages us to have this inclusive kind of heart. Verse 41 says, For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, Because you belong to Jesus, assuredly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And because of this principle of unity, it's appropriate to show kindness to others in the name of Jesus. Because even a cup of water, as insignificant as that may seem, if it's given in the heart and the nature of Jesus, it will be rewarded. You know, sometimes I think we think that real Christian love and devotion is only going to be shown in these most dramatic kinds of gestures. But Jesus is saying here, it's not the act itself as much as the heart with which it's given in. And friends, God remembers the heart of giving, not just the gift itself. And so Jesus tells us to show this practical love, this inclusiveness towards others. And your small act of kindness towards others in Jesus' name will not be forgotten. Well, that's the positive side of kindness, But now he continues with a negative side. Verse 42 says, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now if a small act of kindness done in Jesus' name will be eternally remembered, so too will any cause for stumbling, and with pretty severe punishment, don't you think? I mean, this is like the biblical version of the mafia's cement shoes or something. And the word millstone is not one that is used often in our vernacular today. But it was a stone that was used to grind up flour. And there was this small hand version that a woman might use in the home. And if you look at the screen, you'll see one of these small hand stones that would grind up the grain into flour. But then there was this huge industrial-sized stone that a donkey would pull at a mill And that stone's bigger than the donkey itself. It's huge. Now, I want you to understand something clearly. Jesus wasn't talking about that small little stone. He was talking about the great big millstone hung around your neck. And I have to say, that's pretty shocking imagery coming from Jesus, isn't it? Friends, many Christians don't take this statement of Jesus seriously enough. They don't appreciate the great danger there is in doing something that could cause somebody else to stumble. Especially one of these little ones. And we can look at these little ones in two ways. We can look at them as little children, and you don't want them to stumble, or to develop some of our bad habits, or for them to to open them up to sin, or you don't want to discourage them in their relationship with Jesus. But secondly, you can also look at these as little in the Lord, younger believers Those who are just coming to an initial knowledge of Jesus Christ. Be very careful with them. You know, some Christians think nothing of drawing young, weak Christians into all their own squabbles and divisions. Because it doesn't really affect them personally. Because they themselves might be able to emerge without much damage. Or because they themselves weren't bothered at all that much by it. But, what about these little ones that you brought along with you? They often become the casualties. And they can end up shipwrecked. So Jesus says, be careful. Be very careful careful with these little ones because there's a very severe judgment awaiting those who cause them to stumble so every gesture of kindness will be remembered before the lord but on the other hand there is that negative side you will be held accountable now i want you to notice the urgency with which jesus presses on here in verse 43 it says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands. To go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame rather than having Two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. You know, tragically, Some people have taken this teaching of Jesus the wrong way. They take it in the sense that Jesus never intended. And so they went ahead and they mutilated themselves in a desperate attempt to stop sinning. You know, my friends, I believe in a literal interpretation of the Bible. However... We need to understand the message within the context in which it was said. And the context of this passage is not about the cutting off of body parts, is it? Jesus is using a figure of speech, a hyperbole, if you will, to make his point. And so the point he is making is that sin does not originate in our bodies but rather in our hearts remember when Jesus said in Matthew 5 verse 27 he said you've heard that it was said to those of old you shall not commit adultery but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart You see, sin isn't a matter of the hand or the foot or the eye. If my hand sins and I cut it off, I've got another hand, don't I? If my foot sins and I cut it off, I've got another foot. I could cut off all my limbs, but I've still got a mind and a heart that I can sin with. And the issue isn't about cutting things off your body, it's about dealing with your heart. But in taking the attitude that Jesus speaks of here, <clears throat> he plainly, we plainly get the point and the attitude that he's trying to communicate, don't we? Look, hell is a terrible place. It's a place of eternal torment where the worm of conscience tortures its victims eternally and where its fires are never quenched. And it's a place so terrible that you should be willing to sacrifice anything to avoid it. And so if that means denying yourself that pleasure, if it means denying yourself something that seems to be your privilege or right, then it's worth it. Look, Jesus is trying to correct a big misunderstanding in the minds of his disciples. You see, in all their debate about who was the greatest, what they were really talking about is the reward they're going to get as disciples. Disciples. And they were thinking about the kingdom of God mainly in terms of reward. Now don't get me wrong here. There is great reward in the kingdom of God. But there is also great sacrifice. And friends, we do the kingdom of God a disservice, a great disservice when our sole focus is only on heaven. When it's only on the great rewards that await us because every reward requires personal sacrifice. There is a great life for you in Jesus Christ. What a tremendous reward. But you must be willing to lose your life in order to find it. You must die to yourself before you gain resurrection life. It means to be willing to have Jesus change everything in your life. And there will be many sacrifices that will come in that daily surrendering to Him. But when you come to Him with that kind of heart, God can do great things great things in your life. Well, now we come to the end of this chapter. and Jesus speaks more on this whole idea of sacrifice and bringing ourselves to Him in this manner. And I'll, I'll admit, these are two of the more difficult verses in all of Mark's Gospel. Verse 49, Jesus says, For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. So what does Jesus mean when he says to be seasoned with fire? And what does he mean when he says that every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Well there are two main ways that people have tried to understand this and to be honest I think either one or both are true. The first one is the fire of tribulation and suffering. Jesus may be speaking and saying you've got to count the cost. You come and you give your life to God as a living sacrifice. And as a sacrifice, you're going to feel a little bit of that heat underneath you, aren't you? And in the Old Testament, every sacrifice that was offered before God had to be accompanied with salt. And so Jesus says here, just as every sacrifice under the law required salt, so these living sacrifices that my followers bring to me, they too will be seasoned with suffering and tribulation. So that's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is that the fire refers to the Holy Spirit and His presence in our lives Because it seasons us, it purifies us, it preserves us, it adds flavor to us, and it makes us an acceptable living sacrifice to God. Now as to which one of these approaches is true and accurate, I just say yes. Because they're both true, aren't they? We need to be a living sacrifice before God and sometimes that will involve some difficulty. But it's also true that the Holy Spirit and His presence in our lives is what purifies us and makes us an acceptable sacrifice to God. (coughs) Now that is as far as we're going to go for this morning And next time we'll be covering the very controversial subject of marriage, divorce, remarriage, and you won't want to miss that. But as we close this morning, I want to try and tie all this together. My friends, we are truly living in exciting times. We are literally seeing... End-time Scripture fulfilled before our eyes. But we are also living in very challenging times. We're beginning to see what was described as the great falling away mentioned in Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And we're seeing a great rebellion against God. We're seeing an abandonment of truth. It's not God's truth anymore. It's my truth. I'm sorry, I don't have any. The end times will include a wholesale rejection of God's revelation. That's His Word and a further falling away of an already fallen world and sadly we're seeing that creeping into the church as well where people are compromising the church or the truth for the sake of unity with the world god's word is becoming more of a suggestion than god's truth And the enemy is sowing seeds of divisions in local bodies, in church denominations, between brothers and sisters in Christ and friends. We can't allow that to happen amongst us. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 17. John 17. There are a few verses from Jesus' priestly prayer to the Father just before he went to the cross. It says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Stop right there just for a second. Do you know who he's talking to right there? Who he's talking about? You and I. Jesus was praying for us but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And he goes on and says that they they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. How can we show that difference to the world if we're compromising and being like the world? can't God called us to be separate and Jesus was praying for you before he went to the cross he was praying for me he was praying for us collectively as a church and he prayed for unity amongst us that was what was on his heart when he went to the cross It wasn't the pain and the suffering he was going to go through. And my friends, unity amongst us is not a suggestion, it's a command from Jesus. John 13. Verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And what's the reason? By this all will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. That's our calling card to the world. We should be known not for our love for the world, but our love for each other. My friends, there are challenging days ahead of us. And as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to hold fast to the truth of God's Word. And we need to stand in unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. That old statement, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, love. The author of the book of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 10, beginning at verse 23, it says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some but exhorting one another and so much the more As we see the day approaching. Jesus is coming soon. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? If you believe that, this is what we have to live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through it. We see that path. Your Word's that lamp to our feet, that light to the path that shows us where we should go. And we hide Your Word in our hearts so we don't sin against You. Lord, we know Your Word is truth. And You've promised You are the way, the truth, the life the only way, to the Father. Father, I'm praying for each one here, Lord, that you will continue to draw us together with the cords of your love, that we become that unified one voice proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ into a dark world that so desperately needs the message of your love. So, Father, I just pray that you will work in our hearts, soften us, that we will be willing to do whatever it is that you call us to do, especially as we see that day approaching. Thank you again. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening. If you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to message us on our Facebook page or on Instagram. God bless.